We are in the midst of this, uh, this sermon series on John's gospel. We've been at this for some time now. And um, we, we turn this morning to this, uh, I'll call it a curveball that Jesus throws us. Some, maybe a word that we, we wouldn't normally anticipate from the, the pulpit on a Sunday morning. And yet it is such an important word for us. If you have your Bibles, let me invite you to turn to John's gospel, chapter 15. And we're going to read verses 18 all the way to chapter 16, verse 4. 15, 18, all the way to 16, verse 4. So let's hear now God's word. Jesus says, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering a service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. So the day began like any other Holy Week celebration. It was Palm Sunday, April 9th, 2017. St. Mark Church, just outside of Cairo, Egypt, had just opened its doors. Father George was greeting the flock. Families and children began to take their seats. The palms were lined up and ready to go for worship. Laughter and conversation reverberating off the pews. And then the unthinkable struck. In town, they described it as a shattering sound wave that pierced through the air. Others closer to the blast called it indescribable. They said there were no words for such terror. An explosion from within that building killed 27 people, wounded another 78. Minutes later, in a town just nearby, a second blast went off with another 16 Christians dead, 41 heavily wounded. Imagine what it would be like to know that just walking into church on Sunday morning would make you a target of an unknown and an unseen enemy walking in your midst. You know, stateside, we're not, we're, we're not sure how that goes. We've had our own share of violence in the church, but it's so sparse that we, we seldom think about it. And yet for Christ followers around the world, to put your faith in Jesus makes this your daily reality. You are in every sense of the word a walking target. Global watch groups recently reported how Christian opposition has increased exponentially just in the last year. 
Apparently the pandemic fueled new opportunities against these, these believers and the enemy has capitalized. One international NGO, they noted a 60% increase in Christians killed for their faith in the last year alone. According to an article published in Forbes magazine a few months ago of all places, one in eight Christians worldwide now suffer high to extreme levels of persecution. There's been dozens of reports worldwide of Christian families who were refused economic and grocery assistance with COVID. Meanwhile, their neighbors literally feasted nearby. In Nigeria, the total number of Christians murdered for their faith tripled last year, 3,800 deaths. If you add up all those statistics and stories, it starts to paint kind of a grim picture. And yet it's not really a picture that we're used to standing back and looking at. Because persecution in the West, at least to that extreme, is foreign to us, isn't it? But I think it's important that we talk about it this morning because as you just read, Jesus talked about it. In our lesson, Christ begins preparing for his own suffering and his own death, and he tells his disciples they should now prepare too. He said, in the days to come, if, if you feel like the world hates you, you need to know something. It hated me first. He went on to say, if they persecuted me, you should expect they'll persecute you too. This was no easy word for his followers to hear. See, first Jesus tells the disciples he's leaving him, then he points them to his death, and now he's telling him, your life will soon follow mine. You know, I don't know about you, but typically on a given Sunday morning, I'm thinking about the beauty on the mountains on my way into church. And the biggest threat to my peaceful dive, at least out on the legacy, is the deer crossing the road. But overlay those words that we just read with that scene from Cairo. If you were of the world, the world would love you. But I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever will kill you will think that they're offering a service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. You know, here in the land of the free and the home of the brave, freedom of religion is, is a foundation, right? It's, it's one of our key principles. It's part of the fabric that began our nation. But for Jesus, it's not an if persecution comes. It's when. Listen to how one scholar puts it. I think it's up on the screens here. He said, to be at home with Jesus is to be at odds with the world. Before I get us too caught up in the weeds, I think it's important that we define what that word is that Jesus talks about this morning. What is persecution? What did Jesus mean when he used that word? You know, we know he wanted his, his disciples to be prepared for it, but what does that mean for us? You know, if you look at the word persecution in its original language, it means to intentionally pursue or chase after someone with either a hostile or friendly purpose. So that could mean the, the bully down the street running you down with his bicycle, or it could mean the ice cream truck coming towards you and singing happy songs. But in the context of our lesson, it's stark clear what purpose the pursuers have, right? They're anything but friendly. Jesus looks at this crowd. He says, this crowd will despise you. They'll pursue you on account of me. So to persecute, at least in the context of the scripture, is to pursue or to chase after someone with an intense and antagonistic purpose. It means to run after someone in order to stop them in their tracks, to cease from their activities. And so a terrorist attack, that's the most extreme example we might think of, and that'll get us thinking. But if we hone in on the definition, that word persecution, it takes on a much broader meaning. Persecution comes in all shapes and sizes. 
One international watch group set out a few years ago to give examples of what that word means. Look at this. They wrote a list from the least of persecution all the way to the greatest worldwide. Ridicule, pressure to conform, loss of education, economic sanctions, alienation, loss of employment, physical abuse, mob violence, harassment, kidnapping, forced labor, torture, death. As you look at that list, how much of that list is personally familiar to you? Let's go back one slide and look at it one more time. How much of that list is personally familiar to you? I ask that because as we look at our scripture closely this morning, there's three things that Jesus thought were super important for his disciples to understand about this, this word persecution. He said, when it comes to that word, you need to know this. First, you should anticipate it. Second, Jesus says you should stand firm in it. And third, he tells his disciples, when it comes, you should bear witness in my name. So let's break this out. Let's look at this first one together. What does it mean to anticipate persecution? You know, as you think about that list that we just read, that, that sounds plausible if you're in Cairo, Egypt, or China. But what about Bozeman, Montana? What does that look like? You know, for us, the, the unknown, the unseen enemy is more like what? The grizzly bear, right? I mean, we, we don't really think about what, what that would be in our midst. Look at this in verse 20. Jesus says, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Soren Kierkegaard said it like this, when one preaches Christianity in such a way that the echo answers away with that man he does not deserve to live, know that this is the Christianity of the New Testament. In other words, as crazy as this might sound, if we're truly following Jesus and truly living his gospel and seeking his way, it's only a matter of time before we're going to face some sort of opposition or maybe even persecution. Keep in mind that word comes in all shapes and sizes. So here's what it might look like. Maybe it's that you know to truly live your faith at work means your career would take a hit. You might even lose your job for it. Or maybe it's that your children are shut down for speaking their faith on the playground at school with a warning of what happens if they did. That one's more relevant than you know. Maybe it's to choose the way of Christ means to lose your reputation or your relationships with neighbors or friends or family. I remember fondly a story of a, a preacher told years ago about a, a woman overseas and she went up for her baptism up on stage and as she did, she brought her suitcase with her. And the preacher asked her, he said, well, what's the suitcase for? She told him, she said, that baptism means I can no longer go home. Persecution comes in all sorts of flavors, but here's the important part. Jesus said we should expect it. But here's where I think we need to be careful, right? This is where we get into like extremes or fear-mongering or create something that's not real. We should also note that not all opposition is necessarily persecution. You know, it makes me think of the basketball court. I had a friend in junior high who every time he got like the slightest bit of contact, he would throw himself to the floor and fling his arms around, hoping for the whistle. Anybody have a friend like that? I think we should be careful not to water down that word. You know, there's a lot of reasons historically why the world dislikes the church, some of which have nothing to do with Jesus and we've brought on ourselves. Maybe it's unfair judgmental glances or self-righteous conversations or toxic agendas played out on social media that have more to do with our own agenda than with Jesus. And we should be careful not to name those moments of resistance something that they're not. 
You know, not all conflict is purely because we stood for Jesus in humility and love. And yet, and yet, according to God's word this morning, if we're truly living the gospel life, Jesus says conflict and opposition and even persecution will come. Look at this in 1 Peter 4, 12 to 15. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fire ordeal that has come upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you might be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of his name, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and God rests on you. That's a different way to look at it, isn't it? You know, it's an uneasy thing to think about being marginalized for what we believe, right? And yet to truly live the way of Jesus in some respects means rebellion, it means to swim against the current, to choose a way of life that might not be the path of least resistance. And the hard part is this. In many respects, our culture is clearly moving away from the Christian perspective. So we legislate and we, we protest, we struggle to pr protect our Christian ideals, and we should. But when that begins to erode away, and it always has, and that hour when we find ourselves living against the grain, Jesus says no one should be surprised. And this is going to sound really odd, but hear me out. This isn't a word of, of warning or danger, nearly as much as it is a word of comfort. Jesus says if you're following me in some sort of fashion, you should anticipate not only opposition, but in some way persecutions. All these things they will do to you on account of my name because they did not know him who sent me. So it's not that we throw ourselves to the floor hoping for the whistle at the first glance of opposition or resistance, but it's that when the foul comes, however it does, we should expect it and even rejoice in it and take comfort that Jesus was there first. See, that's a countercultural thing to think about in today's church, particularly in the West where, where churches thrive, right? And Christian music hits 35 million track sales on an annual basis. And authors become New York Times bestsellers with Jesus in their title. We don't think about being put in a position like that. And yet I think it's important for us to remember one in eight, one in eight across the globe suffer extreme forms of violence for their faith. First John 3 tells us, do not be surprised that the world hates you. Whoever does not love abides in death. Expect it, anticipate it, Jesus says. And then he moves on to tell his disciples what we do with it. This is our second point. He says, I'm telling you this so that you would stand firm. I'm telling you this so that you would stand firm. You know, many times throughout the book of John, Jesus gives this lesson and it's kind of up to us to figure out in the context and in the study why he said what he said, but not here. Twice in this lesson, Jesus tells his disciples outright, this is why I'm telling you this. 16 verse one, he says, I'm telling you this so that I will keep you from falling away. 16 verse four, he says, I'm telling you this so that when the hour comes, you might remember what I've said. So let's just take this as an example. Um, imagine what the Apostle Paul went through in his apprenticeship to Christ. Let's just walk that through for a minute. When Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, Paul more than any of us knew firsthand what that was. Book of 2 Corinthians tells us five different times he was flogged for his faith. 39 flashes every time. Remember why it wasn't 40? 40 was death. 
Three more times Paul says he was beaten with rods. At one point he was stoned by a hostile crowd. He said, I endured sleepless nights, hunger, thirst, shivering in the cold. The more you study Paul as a missionary, the more you realize how easy we have it. Some scholars have estimated Paul's missionary life was one quarter spent in his adult life behind bars. And yet Paul manages to write things in his letters from prison like this. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. How is that? First Peter says it like this. It says, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. So in Matthew's gospel, at the very beginning of the story, the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, one of the first lessons that he teaches his followers is he's overlooking the Sea of Galilee, this beautiful scene. And the first thing he talks about is persecution. He says this, he said, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. See, the reason Jesus gives this difficult lesson to his disciples, not once or twice or three times, but over and over again, is so that when they found themselves in the inevitable fire, when the storm pushed against them and the wind blew back in their path, they would hold fast. You know, I think the greatest threat that we find in today's church is in the midst of persecution, or I'll even say perceived persecution, is not the loss of our reputation or position or bodily harm or even death. The greatest threat in persecution is us walking away from our convictions. See, with this love, we might even say tough love. Jesus says we should expect a world that doesn't get it, that doesn't understand us. And Jesus says, nonetheless, you should stand firm because here's the most important part. This is our third point. Jesus said it's in those moments that we bear witness about him. And Jesus doesn't just leave this to do on our own. Remember, he gives us a paraclete, a helper. Look at this, John 15, 26. He says, when the helper comes who I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth, he will bear witness about me. And you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So here's my point. I think one of the greatest challenges for today's church, particularly in the West, is to simply look different than the world around us to stand against the, the pressures that we face. See, persecution and the rest is, is unthinkable, but what if the reason that it seldom happens is because we look nothing different than the world around us? I mean, what is there to persecute if, if everything inside the flock looks the same as outside the flock? St. Augustine said it like this. He said, the world condemned persecutes. The world reconciled suffers persecution. Let me say that again. The world condemned persecutes. The world reconciled suffers persecution. So hear me out. The goal this morning is not that we go out and intentionally seek persecution or that we sound the persecution alarms with no cause. I think the purpose of this scripture is to be a reminder for us to be prepared in season and out of season to give an account of what we believe. And when persecution comes our way, we should expect it. We should anticipate it, stand firm in it, and bear witness with it. Just two days after that explosion outside of Cairo, Father George stood up looking to bury countless of his loved ones in his church. And just days before Easter, in the exact same place where that terror had taken place, he gave a sermon. This time he titled it, For Those Responsible for the Deaths. 
He called it a message to those who kill us. This is how it began. He said, a message to those who kill us, what shall we say to you? The first thing we will say is this, thank you very, very much. And you won't believe us when we say it. You know why we thank you? He said, I tell you, you won't believe it, but please believe it. You gave us to die the same death as Christ. Then he went on to tell his enemies in this message, he said, I, I need you to hear this, I need you to know this, we love you still. He said, maybe you won't believe us when we say we're grateful, but this might even be more hard for you to hear. We love you. We're praying for you. We bless you. Man, I don't know about you, but even though I can't even fathom what that would be like, I want my life to be that kind of witness, even if that moment came our way. To anticipate persecution in such a way that we stand firm in it if it comes and bear witness through it when it does. You know, the next time we feel threatened by a, a world that doesn't understand the church or the next time we experience opposition or maybe even awkwardness or tension because of the way of Jesus, and if persecution knocks on our door, we should expect it. We should stand firm in it. We should bear witness through it. On that Easter Sunday, Father George looked out over what he called a sanctuary packed full with standing room only just days after that blast. He told his flock, he said, though we are in pain today, we, we rejoice because no matter what comes, it is still God who we give the glory to. Man, let's ask God to help us in our faith as we give glory in our lives as well. Let's pray. God, we just, we just wanna give you thanks and praise your name for it the freedom that we have to be in this place, to be streaming online, to have safe travels to and from church. Lord, to, to talk about our faith openly in the, the coffee shops, to share who you are in the streets. God, we praise you for that gift. Lord, we pray for your protection and ask that you'd watch over our witness. But God, we also take a moment this morning and remember all of the brothers and sisters that we share faith with who don't have the same blessing. God, and we know that you're working out your own blessings uh, through them and that we know that the, the blood of martyrs is the seed of faith. So God, we pray that you would help them to endure the race that's been set out before them. God, we pray that others would come to know you. We pray that you would make a way where there wasn't a way. Lord, and as for us, God, help us not to take for granted the freedoms that we have. And Lord, if opposition, if antagonistic persecution comes our way, Lord, help us to stand firm and to bear witness in Jesus' name. Come what may. And all God's people said, amen.